And uh, I just want to read one of these Beatitudes. So it's Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. I'm just reading verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What is your passion? What do you hunger and thirst for? Do you have a must-do in your life? A gotta-have in your life? I'm not talking about perhaps the car of your dreams or the house of your dreams or the job of your dreams. I'm not talking either about perhaps some wonderful holiday destination that you're so looking forward to. Neither am I talking about perhaps that uh, place in that particular uni or college that you're desperate to get into or even... uh, something perhaps that, like a baby that you would long to have. All these things are legitimate. All these things are fine uh, to aspire to or to aspire to have. All of those are good. But I'm talking about something much deeper, more profound, something greater, something that is spiritual. Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you hungering and thirsting for God's presence in your life, for a deeper walk with God, for a more intimate relationship with Christ. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, from time to time, we have to ask ourselves the question, and I do it uh, frequently. We have to ask ourselves the question, am I satisfied with the condition of my spiritual life right now? Is my spiritual temperature hotter or cooler than what it used to be? Or am I tepid? Am I closer to the Lord now than I was previously? Or am I further away, do I feel? Is my fleece wet with the dew of heaven or am I as dry as dust? Now, maybe you don't ask yourself those questions, but I do. It's possible in the Christian life to settle down, to bottom off, as it were, to plateau, to settle for less than God has intended, that we stop climbing the hill of the Lord Something punctures our passion and we get deflated. Somehow we lose our vision and our fervor. We know what we're not, we are where we should be in Christ and we just keep going through the motions. But cold Christianity is a very drab affair, isn't it? It really is. Carnal Christianity is even worse. Because it means that we have just enough of God in us to make us dissatisfied with the world, but we just have enough of the world in us to make us dissatisfied with God. 
And it's not a very good place to be, is it? But then from time to time, the Lord comes along and he gives us what we could call a holy dissatisfaction. In other words, he stirs us up and causes us to take spiritual inventory and look at ourselves deep inside and say, is this all there is? Or am I missing? Is there something that's not there? Somehow or other, I'm missing out on God's best. A bruised reed shall he not break, or smoking flax shall he not quench. And then the Holy Spirit begins to fan again those dying embers, perhaps of the fire that we once had. And once again, we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, as the Beatitudes said. Why should we settle for less than God intended? Why should we do that? Is there not room for growth in our spiritual lives? I contend to you that there's growth in your life and there's growth, spiritual room for growth in your life and my life that we have not attained yet, that we have not got everything. Paul says, I have not apprehended, I have not laid hold on all that God has laid hold on me for. I haven't got there yet. That's what he said. Second Peter 3.18, Peter says, we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. Are we growing in grace? Are we growing in our knowledge of the Lord? Second Thessalonians 1.3, Paul says that our faith can grow exceedingly. Is our faith growing? Is our faith rising or is it static or is it dropped from what it had been? The apostle Paul walked with Christ for 30 years, had seen mighty miracles, unbelievable things were happening through his ministry. He was even at one point caught up into the third heaven, saw things that was unlawful for him to tell another human being. God gave him so much revelation that in his lifetime, he was able to write two-thirds of the New Testament for us. And yet after 30 years, he cries, Oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. He didn't feel he had arrived. He didn't feel he had got everything there was to get, that he knew everything there was to know, that he had sensed everything there was to sense about God's presence. He hadn't arrived at that point. After 30 years, if that's the apostle Paul saying that, where does that leave us today? I think there's a lot more, isn't there, for us? One of the great things that God created us for, and we sang it a few moments ago in that tremendous song we just sang there, was God created us to enjoy His presence. We were created, the song says, for His presence, for His glory. We see that in practical ways in the Old Testament. We see that in the Garden of Eden, for example how that God himself would come to the garden in the cool of the day and he would walk and he would talk with Adam and Eve. What a fantastic, awesome 
is a much used word, but I think it applies here. Situation that must have been for Adam and Eve every single day. God would come and show up at their home and walk with them and talk with them intimately, personally. What a wonderful thing that must have been for them. But then sin entered and the intimacy was broken. And there was a great gulf between God and man and God had to put them out of the Garden of Eden. And they were estranged from God and they ran and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine? Every day of their lives they were in God's presence and then when sin came in immediately they just ran in the opposite direction and hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That thing, the presence of the Lord that was their whole life that was such a wonderful blessing to them and they ran on the head from that. However, throughout the Bible we see then that God would set himself to bring man into relationship with him and bring man into his presence again. And so he would come to individuals like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And he would manifest himself to them. He said to Moses, my presence shall go with you. Moses said, if your presence doesn't come with me, I don't want to go. He says, my presence shall go with you. And his presence went with them. His presence appeared as the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And God said to Moses, make me a tabernacle, make me a tent of meeting, make me a place that will be the center of the people. And so they built this wonderful tabernacle. And then when they pitched the tent, how that the whole nation would gather around it and surround it with the tent in the middle. And how that God's presence and his glory, his Shekinah would come and rest above the mercy seat between the cherubim right in the very center of the people letting them know that his presence was in their midst. God so desperately wanted to be in their midst and for them to know his presence again. And then you remember how later on how that Solomon built a temple. And so something much more permanent. And how that on the great day of dedication of the temple, how that whenever the priests got ready to minister, the Bible says they could not stand to minister because of the presence of the Lord, because of the glory that filled the temple. They couldn't even stand on their feet. Such was the weight of the glory of God upon them. Can you imagine whenever we stood up to worship this morning, could you imagine if the manifest presence and the glory of God came into this place in such a way that not one single one of us could stand on our feet in the presence of God? That's what happened in the temple, in the Old Testament. Psalm said in Psalm 16 and 11, in your presence 
is fullness of joy. And so from time to time throughout the Old Testament that God would manifest His presence to and among His people and sometimes to the whole camp of Israel, sometimes to just individuals He would come like Moses in the burning bush and He would manifest His presence to them. But that wasn't good enough for God. That didn't satisfy Him. He wanted to get ever closer. And so He sent His Son, His only Son, to come and to live among us and to take upon Himself human flesh. And John says, And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. And they were even to touch Him and to hear Him speak and to see Him with their physical eyes. And He was right there in their midst for three and a half years every single day. And then He went to the cross and He gave His life as a ransom for us. Then he went back to the right hand of the Father from whence he came. But God was not even satisfied with that. God wanted to come even closer with his presence. Remember the promise of Jesus to the disciples? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And so God sends his Holy Spirit, one just like Jesus. He sends his Holy Spirit not just to be with us, but to be in us. To have His presence in us. This is a wonderful, wonderful thing that God has done for us. I'm at a loss to understand why Almighty God should want to come and dwell in us creatures of the dust and make our bodies the temple of His Holy Spirit, other than, for whatever reason, He just wants to be close to us. What a comfort. What a confidence. Do you ever stop and think that Almighty God, the Maker of heaven and earth, so wants to be close to you, so wants to be present with you that he's given of his spirit to be in you 24 hours every single day of your life. I don't know why, but he does. And he did. The most important thing in our lives individually and our gatherings corporately without any shadow of a doubt is the presence of the Lord, is it not? The presence of the Lord. If we have the presence of the Lord, that's the main thing to experience and to know and to sense and to feel the presence of the Lord in our midst. So much of our humanity gets in the way of that, doesn't it? So much of our humanity blocks that out. Even that very thought. How often actually do we even think that thought? such as our humanity. 
What if? I've been thinking this week about this. What if this morning at 11 a.m., as we were all settling in, most of us anyway, settling into our seats and worship team was up here getting ready to start at 11 o'clock. What if Jesus physically, bodily, personally, literally walked through that door and walked up that middle aisle and walked right up here and took this seat and set himself right there. Use your imagination. What if he did that? How different would we feel? How would we respond? How would we react? What would happen in our hearts? What would we do at that particular moment? Would we feel excitement? Fear? Joy? Apprehension? What emotion will be going on in our spirit at that particular moment? Would we, for example, would we be like Thomas at that moment when Jesus appeared in that room and he saw him with his own eyes and all doubt and all unbelief went and he says, my Lord and my God. Is that how we'd feel? Or would we be like Peter? Whenever Jesus, after he preached in their boat and told them to go out and cast their net and they got that great catch of fish and Peter says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Would we feel our own shallowness or even carnality or sin? What would we feel? What would we think? Would the joy of the Lord bubble up in our hearts? Or would tears start to come down our cheeks? Would our faith begin to rise? Would we fall on our knees? What would we feel? What would we think? What would he feel and think? How would he feel about the songs that we sang this morning? Would he accept that as worship unto him? I think he would. I think that song we sang last, I think he would accept that because that was about him and about his sacrifice on the cross. How would he respond to the sermon? Would he recognize himself in it? Would he be able to say amen? Or would he be sitting saying, when is he ever going to mention my name? When is he ever going to speak about me? When will I be lifted up? When will my name be glorified in the midst? I think these are legitimate questions that we have to ask. 
Would you feel that in his presence that nothing would be impossible? I think we would. Would you feel in his presence at that moment that whatever need you may have, that suddenly a miracle could happen and that he could heal or set free or bless or give to you whatever you need it. It's hard to know how we'd respond exactly, isn't it? Mercy me, great American Christian band. Uh, they wrote a song a few years ago. Many of you would know it. Called, I Can Only Imagine. It says, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. This is speaking if we get to the heaven, get to glory. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees? Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I do is forever worship you. I can only imagine. And at this point, that's all we can do. We can only imagine. Now here is the reality. The fact of it is, truth of it is, that he is already here. Not physically, not bodily, but nonetheless, he is here. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst but we don't sense him. I'm being brutally honest this morning. We don't sense him. And I want to sense him. Well, there has been times when I felt his manifest presence, but too many times I haven't sensed that. And my guess is you're exactly the same. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What are you hungering and thirsting for? Now, why is it that we're not so aware of his presence? Why is that? Because he's promised to be amongst us. Why is that? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons, perhaps. Maybe we need to ask the question, how much do we desire His presence? Are we hungering and thirsting after His presence? Do we care enough? Do we want that enough? Are we desperate enough? Did you ever get desperate for something? Really, really 
desperate for something. Maybe that's what he wants to feel in our hearts. And maybe have he felt that in our hearts? All of us, my heart, your heart, all hearts. Maybe if he felt that, maybe he would manifest his presence. I don't mean he would stand here appear physically, but we would sense a reality that he was present. You know, if you read through all of the revivals in the history of past, that was the one single thing was the manifest presence of the Lord. People knew the Lord was present. They knew. They sensed it. And things happened in their lives in his presence. In the revivals of old, people, oftentimes the preacher never even got to preach, people in their seats would get on their knees and ask God for forgiveness, ask God to save their eternal soul because of the presence of the Lord. Huh. During the Welsh revival, I read quite recently that during the Welsh revival that Evan Roberts, very handsome, tall, young man, he's only about 24, 25 years of age, when he would go into his service, oftentimes he never even got to speak. Never would even get to speak. Such was the presence of God in the whole place that people all over the place was falling on their knees, crying out, begging God for forgiveness of their sins, making things right. People that hadn't spoke to each other for 30 years would run to each other to make it right because such was the, the awesome, holy fear of God in the place. When are we ever going to experience anything like that? How much do we desire his presence? How, how do we come to God's house? Now, before I say what I'm going to say, I'm not picking out individuals in this place. I'm not using the pulpit as a card's castle. All right, so don't get offended with me. How do you come to the house of God on Sunday morning? How do you prepare for that? Is everything a rush and a blur? Is everything a panic? Do you come in here and your mind's in a whirl? No wonder we don't seem, sense or feel anything in God's presence. We're not even looking for God's presence. How do we come? Let me, if you were going to a movie, would you be late to go in to see a movie, would you? If you're going to watch a football match on TV, would you be late? Would you, would you start late watching that? I don't think so. Are you going to be late for work in the morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning? Are you going to be late? I don't think so. Well, why is it then when we come and, and we say we're going to meet with the Lord because that's what we should be doing, coming to meet with the Lord, he's already here waiting on us. He's waiting on us to show up. I'm sorry, but that's the truth of it. We're not coming prepared for his presence. We're not. Let me ask you another question. What do you do during the week before you ever get to Sunday? Do you spend time alone 
with him. You say, David, I'm tired. I've been working hard. You're a preacher. You're a full-time minister. You can do all this. Let me tell you something. I have the greatest excuse of all of you not to spend time in his presence. You know why? Because I can say, well, I'm already working for the Lord. That's a good excuse, isn't it? I'm already working for the Lord. I'm busy all week working for the Lord. But that doesn't wash with him. That's not being in his presence. That's not taking time just to sit before him. So let me ask you that question again. What do you do all week? Do you spend one moment in his presence? Is this book ever opened in his presence? Or do you wait on Sunday till I come in and open it? And then you listen. And your mind's a million miles away. Because you haven't even looked at this book this week. Say, David, you're being hard on us today. I'm being hard on myself today, too. Because I want his presence in my life. And I want his presence in this house. And whatever it takes to get it, we're going to do it. Amen. We have time for everything under the sun, believe me. TV, sport, hobbies, family, friends, parties, every, we have time for everything. But have we time for him? Because that's the bottom line, isn't it? I remember years and years ago, I, I hesitate to say the audible voice of God, but it shook me to the core. Years and years ago, I'd come into ministry. This was even before, even before we were ever here. I remember as well the day it happened. I was driving to Cumber to visit somebody. And all that week I had been going for God like a headless chicken. Crisscrossing all over the place. In the church I was in visiting people all over the place. And I remember I was heading up to Cumber. And I wasn't thinking a thing. And suddenly, I heard a voice. Too much administration, not enough meditation. That was all. And God didn't have to explain a thing. I knew exactly what he was saying. I was not spending enough time in his presence. And I excused it because I was working for him. So you see, I have the greatest excuse of you all. But not with God. And I have endeavored, and I am endeavoring this year to spend more time with him than I have done. And I would encourage you to do the same. Because if we're going to get the breakthroughs that we need in our lives, individually, and our church corporately, we need his presence. Amen. And if we get into his presence at home, guess what? His presence will be right here. But if we come in all rushing and tired and weary and our minds in a million places and a thousand things, service is half over, we're not even into it. And then we wonder why nothing happens. Take a big guess. Because we haven't really honored him. We haven't really honored him. Remember years ago, Francis Frangipan, <laughs> I remember hearing him say that uh, he, was, he was a man who spent a lot of time in prayer seeking the Lord and, and, and meditating in the scriptures and just 
shut himself off with God. And then he says he got busier and busier and busier and busier. His ministry began to grow and he was at conventions and conferences and speaking engagements and he was flying everywhere. And he says, I just got out of the habit of spending that time alone with the Lord. And then he said, I got a, a phone call one day from a lady, a godly, godly woman, and just out of the blue, she rang me. She knew me and I knew her, but she says, well, I hadn't been in touch for a long time. And she just rang me out of the blue and she said, Francis, I've got a, I've got a, a message from you from the Lord. Oh, he says, wonderful, that's great. Please give it to me. She says, here's what the Lord says. Tell Francis I miss him. <laughs> Tell Francis I miss him. She didn't have to say it twice, he said. And at that moment, he says, I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to cut back and I'm going to spend time alone with you. Tell Francis I miss him. I wonder would the Lord say that about us. Tell David I miss him. Tell Clifford I miss him. I miss him. So maybe if we sought him more, talked to him more, meditated upon him more, maybe we'd sense him more. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, when Jesus said that, you have to understand that those who were listening, particularly the religious crowd, they wouldn't, they wouldn't put this together because as far as the religious crowd was concerned, righteousness came by good works. Judaism is built on, on good works. That's how righteousness came. So the scribes and the Pharisees taught that all of their life, believed that all of their life, that if you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and you do that, you'll be a righteous person. So righteousness to them wasn't something, something you hungered and thirsted, it was something you did. And if you did enough of it, you were righteous. Trouble was you never knew when enough was enough. So you had to keep doing more and more and more to be righteous. But Jesus said it's something you hunger and thirst after. It's a deep desire and it doesn't come with the work of your hands comes with seeking after righteousness. And all that righteousness means, all of that means that we have that standing before a holy God through Christ. And all that that means to us and all of that avails for us the righteousness of God that's in Christ. Now, there's a sense that we have that in Christ. But yet he says we're to hunger and thirst after it. What do we hunger and thirst of something we've already got? But what it does to us and in us and through us, particularly for him, searching and longing and desiring for him because our righteousness is in him. There's no righteousness outside of him. He's the center of the righteousness. So in a sense, he's saying, hunger and thirst after me 
I am the center of all of your righteousness, but hunger and thirst after me. That's what he's trying to get through to us. And he says, blessed are you that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the word that's used here is a word that was absolutely just blew their minds when he said this because they understood blessing. The word is makarios. They understood that as the, the, the delight of the gods, the joy of the gods, that only the gods could have that kind of blessedness, that this was something that was within themselves that, that not, needed nothing else to happen to them. It was within them, but it's only the gods could have that. And Jesus says, you'll be blessed if you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You will have a joy and a peace and a gladness of heart that's outside of yourself. It's not dependent on happenings. It's not a happiness that depends on happenings. It's something you get when you hunger and thirst after him. Now, we don't think of hungering and thirsting in a positive term. Sure, we don't. If you've ever been hungry and thirsty, it's not a very good feeling. But what a feeling it is when you get filled. <laughs> Are you hungering? Are you thirsting? After him. After righteousness. He said, if you are, here's the promise. You will be filled. Don't you like Psalm 42? There's something about the psalmist that has such a passion for God. And he pursued it. His passion for God. I mean, just in that first couple of verses, just give you the taste of this man's passion. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? Here's a man who's Desperate, desperate for God's presence. Here's a man who has seen the deers being hounded and chased by their predators till they got to the safety of the water brook. Here's a man who's been hounded by his enemies and he's desperate for God in his life. He's desperate for the presence of God. He's just, just like that deer wants to get to that water. He says, I'm Desperate for God's presence. Are we desperate for his presence? The Apostle Paul, we'll just be through in a moment. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. Well, let me read from verse 9 of Romans 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Fervent in spirit. Be aglow 
with the Spirit, other translation put it. Be fervent in spirit. Boy, we need some of that, don't we? We need some of that fire. We need some of that passion. We need some of that desire to be fervent in spirit. And then, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, Remember whenever Jesus was talking to the woman of Samaria by the well? In verse 13 of John's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Listen to it again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, so we know he's talking about spiritual things here, isn't he? Specifically, he's talking about the Holy Spirit in our lives. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But wait a minute. We do thirst. And we have the Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit, but we still thirst. So is that Scripture true or is it not true? What's Jesus saying here? That's why you've got to read the next bit. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Not that he's saying that we'll never thirst again, but that whenever we do thirst, we'll never thirst so that there's no quenching of it, so that we'll not be fulfillment of it. He says, because the water I give you shall be like a well within you that you can drink continually of. Sure, you'll thirst, but there'll be something to quench that thirst till the next time you thirst, and then there'll be something to quench that thirst. In our spiritual lives, what you'll find is your passion rises and falls. It waxes and wanes because of our humanity. Because we live in a physical body in a material world. You've got to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil every single day. So your passion will wane and it will wax and wane. Your passion will grow and it will fall. Your passion will go and it will come. So that's why we need this well within us so that whenever we are thirsty, whenever we feel that thirst coming on again, Lord, I need more of your presence. I need more of your power. I need more of your glory in my life. I need the touch of God in my spirit. Lord, I need that. He says there's a well within you that you can drink from that will quench that thirst. So what we're asking is not impossible. It's not unattainable. God's not teasing us. He's not dangling something before us that we can never get. He says we can be filled. They shall be filled. Amen. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage me. All of us. 
to take more time in his company. Be that in your room at home. Maybe, it's, maybe you take a long walk and talk to the Lord. Some people do that. But you need somewhere, somehow, to carve out time each day to be in his company. Not necessarily to be asking for anything, but just to sit before him. Maybe with your Bible open, maybe just with a praise CD on, maybe just worshiping, maybe just meditating. My meditation of him shall be sweet, the psalmist said. Just thinking about him. Lord, I'm here today, I'm here tonight, and I'm just sitting in your presence, and I'm meditating upon you. Lord, I desire your company, I desire your presence. And if we do that, there is nothing sure that he will answer that prayer. He will answer the cry of that heart, and that spring that is within you will begin to refresh again your spirit. And you will sense his presence. And then we'll come to church looking for his presence. And then someday we'll be here and the manifest presence of God will come into this room. And you won't need to explain to you. Because you'll know, you'll know in your heart that God is in our midst today. Amen. We're going to pray.